we're doing an own voices episode later in the season. Do you mm. mind if I just ask you what that means to you? And as an agent, like, do you think you, you kind of imply that like, that's helpful right now? Oh, it is definitely helpful. Can you kind of just talk about like how you well, feel about it and the trends as it how currently I, is? How I feel about it or think about it? Is that what you said? Uh, yeah. What? As you think about like how you would define it and also just kind of like the, I guess the atmosphere around own voices from, from an industry perspective. Do we have to go there on this one? So complicated. All right. Welcome to the Clunatics podcast. I'm Kurt Graves. That was Deidre Knight, TJ's agent, who we met in episode eight. Deidre is also an author, and she showed the appropriate amount of reticence before tackling a very complex topic. TJ touched on it in episode seven. It's the idea where I wrestle with own voices and should our queer people only the only people who should tell queer stories no i don't think so i don't think that that's how it necessarily works and in episode four we need queer people telling queer stories we need people of color telling their stories we have to have own voices because own voices matter now more than ever own voices what is it and why should you care about the movement in September 2016, author Corinne Divis created the hashtag OwnVoices. Her goal was to be able to find and recommend kid-lit books with diverse characters that were written by diverse authors. The Seattle Public Library expands that definition to include books written by an author from a marginalized or underrepresented group writing about their own experiences or from their own perspective, rather than someone from an outside perspective writing as a character from an underrepresented group. But as with many hashtags, the term has taken on a life of its own, and it means different things to different people. This week, we're joined by several queer own voices, authors, and creators to discuss the benefits and potential downfalls of the own voices movement. Before we begin, though, the producers and I decided that it is necessary this week to give you a rare glimpse behind the scenes of creating this podcast. In preparation for this episode, we reached out to a wide array of authors to be interviewed, and we're very grateful for every author who agreed to talk about this complex topic. But we also acknowledge that almost every voice you'll hear in this episode is white. That is not by design. In fact, we worked hard to not have that be the case. For many reasons, including scheduling, the Black and Latinx authors we approached were not available or not interested in being interviewed at this time. We're sorry not to have their voices included in this episode, and we will strive to include them if we approach this topic again in the future. Every voice you'll hear in this episode, however, is queer which is an all-encompassing term I use for anyone who doesn't identify as a straight, cisgendered person. Our exploration of the Own Voices movement begins with author Katie Edwards. My name is Katie Edwards, and I'm the author of the Tarot Sequence series, and I'm happy to be here. I think in its simplest term, Own Voices is, if the book is a mirror, I see myself in it. It's me. That is my representation. That is my experience. I share a lot with the author um, who's talking deeply from something they went through, which was both highly personal and unique to them. Yeah. Do you think it's important? Yes. It's a very, this is a very loaded issue. And I want to be careful about what I say because I have appreciation for all elements of it. I think that as for whether it's needed, 
Absolutely 100%. For someone who actually lives that experience, you can't mimic that level of authenticity. And that's something really, really important. Okay, so hi, it's really nice to be here to talk to you. Thanks for inviting me. And I'm Jay Northcote. I'm a British, as you can probably tell. Also, I have queer romance. I've been writing and publishing for about six years now, I think. I've stopped counting. And I'm also transgender and queer. But I didn't know that when I started writing. So, so that's me. I think it's good to celebrate queer books written by queer people because I think that inevitably you get a kind of authenticity that can be hard to recreate if you haven't lived that experience. But at the same time, I'm never going to have lived all the same experiences as any of my characters. Because, you know, some things about their experience might be the same as mine, but there'll be lots that will be different. But I think, I think the other reason it's important is I think that a lot of queer readers, especially younger queer people who are still trying to work out their identities, actually seek out own voices books because they kind of want to have that direct connection to the community almost and actually hear that voice. And readers aren't the only ones seeking an authentic voice to hear in queer literature. Sometimes it's the authors themselves who use their writing to explore a side of themselves they are only just beginning to understand. Uh, hi, my name is Ed Davies, and I write MM Romance. My next release is a gay trans romance called Freedom. Yeah, I think a lot of the, my drive to write about like stories that reflect queer people and trans people and whatnot was because I want to reflect those things that I needed to see because I was denied that language to even understand who I was. I didn't even have a, oh, well, maybe I'm trans or maybe I'm not like growing up as a kid like some kids did. It was just so not on my radar that I didn't even know that what I was feeling was dysphoria, much less that there was a cure for it. And I couldn't picture myself growing old, so I couldn't picture any kind of future for myself. And then, of course, the only, the closest I could get were the movies about cis gay men who I was kind of strangely identifying with, but I couldn't figure out why. And then they all had tragic endings and so on. So, yeah, <laughs> it really was a search for what the hell is going on. Hi, I'm C.B. Lee. I'm from California in the United States, and I'm a queer writer. I'm the author of the Sidekick Squad series and a number of other forthcoming books. But like when I was a kid in middle school and high school and college, like all the stories that I was writing was like stories that I thought um, people would want to read. And the only stories that were being published that I read and internalized were like, okay, you know, and I loved fantasy. So like everything in fantasy was centered around like, like a Eurocentric medieval sort of um, high fantasy world, which featured like white, straight, cisgender characters. And so initially, like those were the kind of stories I started off with. And I had a real trouble like trying to see myself or, or even just getting to the point where, like writing myself into fiction, into these stories, because I didn't see like queer people like me or people of color could have those same kind of adventures or happy endings, like because we weren't in these stories to begin with. So when I first started writing, but my first novel came out in 2015 and it was a queer romance, and so at that time, it was very, I think it was like a first time where I was like, hey, you know what, I'm just gonna write like a queer Asian American character because I'm queer, I'm Asian American, and I want to have this specific identity in the book. I want it to be, you know, I, I just want this to exist. It definitely took time. It was part of like, 
and I, it comes across in a in a way where like a lot of self reflection, and I think a lot of frustration too about not having ever seen that representation and wanting it and wanting it in a you know specific magical way. Like I wanted to see like characters of color getting to go on magical adventures and being the chosen one and falling in love or exploring like queer relationships or questioning themselves and learning more about themselves. Like I want definitely wanted all of that. Author April Daniels is a trans woman who writes Own Voices books. April provided written responses to our questions, and we'll hear her answers as read by a friend and fellow narrator, Lindsay Dorcas. If there was a book about a boy who became a girl as part of an adventure, and decided to stay that way, available when I was young, I did not see it. And, of course, I was closeted. So even being seen looking for such a book was a scary, frustrating process. People interpreted me as a closeted cis gay boy. None of us understood that I was gay for girls. Efforts to help me by showing me to certain books were thus misgendering and dysphoria-inducing. Also, a few times bullies would mockingly suggest those same, very serious issues sort of books to me, because poisoning the well was a fun game for them. I'd just never seen anything that included the sort of escapist elements I liked with a sympathetic trans girl viewpoint. If I'd had something like that, something that explicitly called itself a transgender narrative while still being fantastical, I think parts of myself I didn't find until much later would have been available to me at an earlier, healthier age. You've got to meet people where they're at if you want to get to them. So when you first start out, you you have some, if you spend a lot of time in the closet, you've got some natural hesitations about exposing yourself so much in literature. And I was always worried that that would marginalize me if I did that. That was in the beginning. And as time went on, I found a job and a good job. And I'm very comfortable in life. So I'm finally turning to writing as a, okay, now's the time to really do it. And since I have this comfort margin of a day life that'll keep me supported, I can take risks. And the first risk I decided I wanted to take was I want all my characters. You see, part of the problem was that I would read these series, urban fantasy especially, that I love. I love Dresden. I love Alona Andrews. I love um, Patty Briggs. All those series are were so important to me. And a lot of them maybe had gay characters or even maybe a gay storyline, but they certainly were not heavy in queer representation. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to take these stories I love, these mainstream stories, and do it but with characters who just happen to be gay. I didn't want to write a gay novel. I wanted a novel where characters, again, just happen to be on the queer spectrum. And since I had the comfort to do that because I had a good day job, I said, that's what I'm, I'm moving into for my entire writing experience. And how's that going for you? Excellent. It, I still find that there are times I, my, the back of my brain is trying to say, don't be so open, don't be so blatant, don't marginalize yourself. And it's my agent, Sarah Megabaugh, who keeps on having to say, no, you are mainstream. This is mainstream now. And that's why I have such a wide spectrum of readers. Um, the readers are the best part of this entire process. I could spend an entire podcast interview talking about nothing but how wonderful readers are and how supportive they are and how much they share. But they're all across the board, all ages, um, men, women, gay, um, straight. It... it it's a different world we're in right now, and I think they're ready for stories from authors telling it in their own voices. It's a different world for sure. Let's check in with TJ's agent. I think that we are so fortunate to be in a time where people who have not been published, and there's been 
prejudice and bigotry or even just misunderstanding or lack of self-reflection on part of certain people that why maybe I'm not as comfortable with this to see all that coming down and instead it being a positive that I as an agent can go to somebody and say, this is an own voices story and see them perk up. Now that's pretty darn wonderful, right? I think it, it's, it's been, you know, the past few years in publishing, it's, it's come at like a specific time in where, you know, it was, it's been lumping around like, Oh, like diversity is, is a trend now, but that's such a weird way of saying it. Cause you know, like queer people have always existed. People of color have always existed. Marginalized people have always existed. So like a trend is something like that implies something that's going to go away. Like bell bottom jeans were a thing and then they were not a thing. And, and whereas this is more of a reality, it's just more visible now. I'm an author. So I think I'm probably by definition more represented in the fiction currently available than almost anyone else who reads. I do wish that there were more trans women as viewpoint characters in science fiction fantasy. For about two and a half years, I appeared on what seemed to be literally every single English-language trans science fiction fantasy list that hit the internet. It's not because I'm that good. It's because trans women protagonists in commercially published fiction are so rare. But there has definitely been a huge, huge, obviously with own voices, man, huge breakthrough in this area. And, you know... I, well, is it okay if I mention one of my own books? Yeah. Can I, can I tell one of my best publishing stories? Please. <laughs> okay. So once upon a time, I wrote a book called Butterfly Tattoo that it was, you know, inspired by the fact that I'm bi, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I'm married to a guy. So it was a story about a guy who had had a partner who had been killed and he makes the choice to get with a woman, you know, start over with a woman and his friends don't understand. And it's all this kind of, you know, a lot of different, it's a lot about grief. I wrote it after some pretty intense loss in my own life, a couple of really big losses. And and it was how I was processing my grief, but it was very much about a bi guy who has been with a male partner who starts over with a woman. I wrote this book in 05. I mentioned it to a, no, I mean, I wrote it in 04 and 05. And when I mentioned it to a big publisher, I was told, I would never be able to publish that book in the U.S. Maybe in Europe it would have flown, but it was too out there that people were too uncomfortable. If own voices had been a thing and I'd been able to, you know, could have said, well, I'm queer. And this is from, you know, my, it was my uh, talking about my own bisexuality. You know, I'm not going to write a memoir. So, I mean, you know, this is how we deal with the things we process. We write fiction and we weave it around in different forms and, you know, look at it in all these different ways. But yeah, she just assumed, I guess, that it was a novel standing outside myself or I don't know. Own voices involves a certain level of exposure for authors. And despite the belief that all publicity is good publicity, sometimes exposure takes a toll on authors. If you are drawing your experience to write the book, and you're putting a bit more of yourself out there to be judged and criticized and hopefully enjoyed and related to, but I think there is, I think there's, there's something about kind of vulnerability and being prepared to actually share that much of yourself. And, and like that's where, maybe that's where the difference is, is that when people are ready to write own voices books and do that then that's where you do kind of get that magic something that somebody reading can be like oh yeah i really get that i know exactly how that feels we can't you can't ever forget that that 
any fiction novel done by an own voice, you've got a nonfiction experience wrapped in, wrapped up in it somehow. And that's worthwhile and that's needed. I mean, that should be encouraged because not all, too often in history, a lot of those you know, no people, we weren't allowed to tell the stories in our own voices. Is there an audience that you write for primarily? That's a tough question. <laughs> I generally write for audience because I assume that the majority of readers out there are cis, but I don't like to label them as a cis audience because I've had a lot of people contact me and say, oh, I found out that this word actually described me really well. And I never knew that that was a thing, kind of like the experience that I had had myself. And I want to also, I'm really careful about making my books accessible to trans audiences because it's really easy to write a book that is sort of trans one-on-one and it has how it has trans characters describing themselves how we describe ourselves to cis people which is really kind of an oversimplification so I try to slip in these moments of how we actually experience ourselves as well so that it doesn't alienate trans audiences but it also doesn't confuse or alienate cis audiences so it's kind of a difficult balance I try to write to everybody but it's that hard. <laughs> but also I tend to write about trans men who haven't been as visible as trans women historically, which isn't to say that representation of trans women has been great, because it's actually kind of been the opposite and the hypervisibility and stigmas around trans women that have been constructed. But because of that total lack of knowledge at all about trans men, I find myself both in sort of my visible social media presence and in my books doing that sort of explainer of what top surgery is and what bottom surgery is and what testosterone does. and those sorts of experiences that people just don't know that they don't know, but having to do so in a way that doesn't alienate the trans reader or make them feel like the only thing that's interesting about us is, you know, those sorts of things that those readers might not be familiar with. TJ had something to say about this when we talked to him about asexuality for episode six. When, when I write, when I say that I'm writing own voices, I want people to understand what that means and not make an assumption on what it means. And I mean, there's there's people who don't know what asexual means. There's people who don't know what own voices means. There's people who don't know what it means to be poly or pan, anything like that. And if you're going to be talking about that kind of a stuff, you have to, you have to think of it as potentially being a teachable moment while not trying to be condescending or pandering. So it's a fine line to walk, but if you're going to be including those kinds of characters, then you need to be doing it right, man. You have to be doing it, doing it within all your creative power to not fuck it up. Because if, if you do fuck it up, if you have, say, a book that will remain nameless at this point, but it was a, a book where one of the characters was ace and then all of a sudden, oh, I'm not asexual, I guess, because I just hadn't found the right dick to stick in me. And that just blew my mind and I was horrified and hurt and that pretty much put me off reading MM what's considered MM romance for forever because <laughs> it's just I don't know again people can write what they want but have some respect for what you're writing about hi my name is Charlie David and I'm a film and television producer as well as writer and audiobook narrator yes uh, narrator of the second book in the Bear, Otter, and the Kid series for TJ Kluwen, which listeners of this podcast will recognize you from, if Ab- not many other things. So. Yeah, absolutely. I you know, had the absolute pleasure of narrating 
who we are for TJ Klune. You just had a documentary come out here on Amazon Prime in the States that you filmed at GRL last year. So I saw you and your cameraman running around the whole time. We're going to talk about own voices, but since that was really a theme of the film, I was also wondering, like, what made you want to make that movie? Well, that uh, documentary, What Women Want, Gay Romance, and I, I like the title because it's, I feel like it's, intriguing but it's also so so limiting in itself as a title and but i think for those of us or for those that aren't in this awesome community of of gay romance and you know readers and writers and publishers and stuff that that we're in i think it is an eyebrow raiser for a lot of people when they hear that you know there is such a large percentage of the readers, writers, publishers, etc., in this genre that are are women, right? And they kind of that they they take a step back and it's like, huh? What are you talking about? What is this? Please indulge me for a moment. I can't talk about Charlie's documentary without also mentioning that one of the people featured most in the documentary was my colleague, author, and narrator, Kenneth Obi. Kenneth passed away tragically and unexpectedly shortly before this episode was released. He would not be considered an own voices author or narrator, but he was a fierce ally and advocate. He loved working in the male-male romance genre, and many people who listen to this podcast enjoyed his work and his friendship, and he will be missed. Now, back to Charlie. And, you know, I think because I had grown up reading women who were writing queer stories anyway, like an Anne Rice, like a Mary Renault, and did a fantastic job, and that I felt connected to these love stories and stuff. I certainly knew that it was possible, but I wanted to go and ascertain for myself at the same time that this wasn't a group of people eating other people's lunch, as it were. And, uh, and so going to Gay Romlet in Albuquerque this past fall and filming the doc, that's what it allowed me to do, to interview a lot of people who are actively involved in this space and, and pose some hard questions about own voices. Because, you know, that's the time that we're living in, this very kind of a call-out culture of like, what ownership do you have in that space? What ownership do you have in that experience? Are you the best person to tell this story? And those are really hard questions that I think at the end of the day, for me, can only be answered by the individual. I don't, I don't think it's my place to ever tell another creative entity on this planet what they can and cannot do. And that's what I was saying about what is problematic for me is when you start telling people, but you can't write that story. That, that story you can't tell. I mean, that, that's not at all why we embark on being writers. We want to tell every story we can tell or voice every story we can tell because that's, that's how we sort through and understand life. I mean, to me, that's really the purpose of being a writer is, is it's my journey to process this thing that I'm walking through for X number of years. And this is the way in which I choose to do it is via story, whether it's story I'm writing, story I'm editing and reading and sharing with people and agents, I mean, and editors and, or, you know, whether it's a story I'm just writing that I'm never even going to publish. It's to give context to understanding life. Yeah. Are there any parts of the movement that worry you? 
it worries me if it's ever being used in a way that does, you know, exclude and try to push out other authors who are who are brilliant and doing a really good job and who write really sensitive, well-researched stories. You know, because like I said, you know, I might write about a trans character, but that doesn't mean that all their, the rest of their experiences can be the same. And I've been writing about cis gay men for a very long time. Clearly, that's not an experience that I've ever had growing up. The gay guy, I don't know what that's like. So, you know, I don't, I don't think it should be a sort of an exclusive thing saying that, you know, these books are better. It's just like these books are different. And if you want to read a book that has been written by somebody who has some good experience, then this is where you can do it. Yeah. And I think it comes back to like, you know, from the writing perspective, if you're thinking about like who can tell the stories, and I think about like who, who, like what stories do you feel comfortable writing? You know, everyone's doing their best. We're all works in progress. You know, I think people are taking the time to, you know, do, you know, talk to people in the community and like, you know, when it comes to like how you personally want to, I don't know, there's, uh, it's a really, <laughs> it's a hard question to answer because it's, it's so nuanced because I can definitely understand if someone, you know, it's not safe for them to be out or it's not safe for them to to disclose or they don't want to disclose, but there's a lot of pressure. And this is where something mostly positive, like Own Voices, gets complicated. I think Own Voices is really important in offering opportunities, but it shouldn't be used to take away opportunities. And it's often assumed that authenticity and identity and Own Voices are really neat and tidy, but like you just said, that's not the case, especially with queerness. I wrote several trans books before I came out as trans as an author, and the way those books are discussed now that they're known to be own voices has really changed, even though the books themselves are the same, and I'm more or less the same, but the reader's perception of the books and of me has changed so drastically. So it puts the, the push for authenticity can force people out of the closet and put trans people in really sticky situations, especially trans people, because when I first started writing, people assumed I was female and I had to go with it because I wasn't being perceived as male day to day and people could have attacked me for being inauthentic. And then over the next few years, I started hormones and I transitioned the situation reversed. So then I had to come out as a gay man so that I wasn't attacked for using a female pen name. But at that point in my real life, I wasn't safe to disclose my trans identity. So I lived stealth and I let people assume that I was cis. And that always felt like a ticking time bomb, especially when I was writing trans books, because there was a real risk that people would out me for their own purposes at some point. And then I tried to sort of just write books without being present on social media. But that doesn't work because you get these hostile reactions from people who want, you know, the proof that you're authentic and you have the right to write these stories. So for a few years, I was forced into this real corner between a megaphone and a spotlight that it just wasn't safe for me to step into or a cliff edge of some really big safety risks that such people don't necessarily have to worry about. I've gone through a huge amount of stress and those long lasting psychological con- consequences I'm still dealing with. And all I wanted was to write a few good stories with diverse characters and happy endings. It just felt like there was no winning unless I was willing to give up all my privacy and accept all the risks of being out in my whole life. So yeah, it's difficult. I think the intention behind own voices is great and there's some really good possible outcomes when authors are being supported but a lot more nuance and caution is needed to make sure that it's about supporting and not about policing or verifying people's authenticity or pressuring people to come out and endure those potentially your consequences. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's up to people to choose whether they want to be open about their identity or not, particularly with trans authors, because obviously a lot of transgender people don't want to disclose their history once, you, once they get to a certain point in transition, you know, 
in a way like part of the you know for a lot of trans people they just want to leave that past behind and just get on with living the idea you know, how they identify now so you know, yeah that's, that's definitely true and likewise and people readers really shouldn't put pressure on authors to write own voice stories if they don't want to, because I think a lot of, like I know, obviously I know a lot of trans authors and I know a lot of people who've come out relatively recently, a bit like me, and have that kind of journey of discovery. And like, there's often a feeling that once you've come out as trans, then you've got to write a trans book because everyone's expecting it. And some people aren't ready to, some people will never be ready to, some people just, you know, wouldn't choose to, Go, go into that experience in their writing and that you know that's something that has to be very much like personal choice yeah absolutely yeah you know, it's not your duty it's not your duty to write an own voices book just because you can i used to be all in for the own voices movement but now i wonder if that's becoming only another channel for the commodification of identity how many authors of a given background does the industry need to feel like they've covered their bases is there a black trans woman whose vision is even greater than mine, who won't get her shot because I was let up first? Own Voices is still far and away a better impulse than tokenization from an industry still dominated by middle and upper class white people. But I wonder if it is also an answer to the wrong question. Maybe we need to be asking why the problem that the Own Voices movement is meant to fix exists in the first place. So you might be wondering... Can I write that character or nah? When I'm on panels and stuff, people, I get asked by like random people all the time for like permission to write a queer character or like a character of color. And I'm like, I can't give you that permission. It's, it's, it's your call. You're the writer. You can do your best to like write, but it's, there's also, I feel like a, a level of like, you should ask yourself what, like, you know, when people are like, oh yeah, we want to be more dispersive you know we want we want to be more inclusive but i i don't feel like i would be comfortable writing this then you know there's there's a lot there there's a lot of like you know people asking like oh is it okay if i write this is it okay if i write this if i do the research if it, is it okay if i write this if i get beta readers those are all good things to do yeah and there's there's a lot of like you know like I've written characters who, like, I don't share backgrounds with. And I think there's a difference between, like, saying, like, oh, I'm going to write, like, the one experience versus, like, oh, I'm going to write a character who has had this experience because I want this character to be in my books because these people exist in the world and I want to show that, you know, these characters can also exist in this world. Do I write queer people? Yes. Do I write queer romance? Yes, I do. Do I write just queer romance? No, uh, most of my books have have some other aspect to them, and but that's just how I want to write. There's nothing wrong with people of of whatever sexuality writing whatever they want. I'm just concerned that that the monster that is the MM romance genre is losing sight of the people they're writing about. I understand that romance is a genre run, created, and, and most, for the most part written by women. And I know that most authors are not trying to fetishize the community in which they write. But I would caution people against proclaiming yourselves experts at a genre or a situation in which you are merely a contributor and not actually a part of. 
and it, it really it really concerns me that that people are I I've I have I've I've struggled with the label of the MM genre for a long time now. The the I don't know that that's quite where I fit in, and that's on me. That's not on anybody else. That's on me. And it, it I think that that I've I've had to kind of divest myself from that particular genre just because it's it's not something that that I'm comfortable necessarily being a part of anymore. Do I write queer people? Yes. Do I write queer romance? Yes, I do. Do I write just queer romance? No. Uh, most of my books have have some other aspect to them, and but that's just how I want to write. There's nothing wrong with people of of whatever sexuality writing whatever they want. I'm just concerned that that the monster that is the MM romance genre is losing sight of the people they're writing about. You know, I don't want people to think that like, hey, like you can only write about your background, you know, and I think we're limiting to like limiting people to I don't want people to feel limited by like their experience, you know. Like you want to be able to write broadly and widely. So, you know, but you know, we all say it but it's true, like if you only ever wrote characters who you could share their experience then all of your books would be about you having relationships with people who are exactly like you and whose friends were all exactly like you so you know all of us are going to be writing stuff that's not own voices even if we are an own voices author like only tiny aspects of our books are going to be own voices and an awful lot of the rest of it we are going to be doing the same as any other author and you know doing our research and trying to imagine what it's like to live in that character's shoes how you know where it's different no, I, I can't. I don't think I'll ever go that far to say that completely. Because again, there's. I've just seen too much change in my life that when someone's brave enough to tell a story, even if it's not their own story, it opens the door for other people to tell their stories. I've seen that time and time and time again. The only time I, I hesitate is when I see someone do it poorly. When I see someone including maybe a gay character, I, I couldn't even give you an example of this because it, it's been so long since I've seen it. But in the past, a lot of times you'd see gay characters and you'd be focusing on their you know, maybe femininity or something like that. It, it wouldn't be focusing on their real story. I think that that's what bothers me. If someone is telling a story, which maybe isn't own voice, but they're not telling it well. So, I think there's actually big benefits sometimes in having these stories that are told by non-queer authors as well, because the biggest names in the genre are often people who have relatively more privilege, more safety, a bigger platform, and they build a lot of real trust. So if we can't encourage people to tell these stories, readers might check out a trans book by their favorite author, and then they realize, oh, they enjoy these characters, and they seek out other books that are by both trans and cis authors and so on. And that's actually what happened to me at first, because people assumed that I was a cis author writing trans stories, so they took a chance on the book. And then I actually got people writing to me saying, you know, at first I wasn't sure about reading a trans character, but now I totally get it and I want more. And that was actually really exciting for me to hear as a trans person. And that's the kind of benefit that can come with people being brave enough to tell those stories. And I think there is that difference between telling stories about the experience of being a marginalized person versus in which a character is a marginalized person. And I think that latter is where the other authors can really help broaden diversity in fiction without taking the opportunity to tell the really specific story about being marginalized away from somebody who's lived that themselves. So finding ways of promoting and supporting and mentoring those authors who do openly identify as own voices, if you're not own voices, is a really powerful way that you can help. And yeah, just encouraging lots of different stories and lots of different types of stories. 
and critiquing sort of the story based on whether it fits into a range of plausible and realistic experiences of a group rather than sort of the one narrative and these boxes that have got to be checked and whether or not, you know, it's following this standard path. And that's where the stories that are just, just happen to have marginalized characters in them are really powerful. So how can you do it correctly? Do you have any advice for how authors who are not own voices but want to tell diverse stories can approach that? I mean, absolutely consider the concept of diversity readers. Finding someone who that is their experience, that is their voice, that is that their reflection in the mirror the book holds up. Have them read it and give feedback on it. Join a writing group. That's been by far the best thing I've ever done in my entire life as far as being a writer, to be a member of a writing group and get constant feedback from from my peers who know my story and are are, are targeting this as a question then when, when they review my story. So the best advice I would give is get feedback, get lots of feedback. I think stopping and remembering what you have in terms of privilege is definitely the first step, but not getting bogged down in that. So I see a lot of people who sort of get so wound up by potentially saying something wrong and then the consequences and kind of feeling like the, like, for example, homophobic or transphobic or whatnot is a noun. And once you are homophobic, once you've said something homophobic, that's it. That defines you forever. And so that kind of stops them. They go, oh, God, like, I can't make a mistake. So I'm just not going to try. So being kind to yourself, I think, is where it starts and recognizing that you don't know what you don't know yet. And then listening to trans people, listening to queer people, when we correct you, just saying, oh, I didn't know, sorry, and then trying to do better. That's really all it takes most of the time in order to sort of correct those missteps, I think. I mean, I guess it's about listening to what people are saying. If you're on, you know, if you're on social media, if you're friends with people in the queer community, you know, listening to conversations, seeing what people are saying, seeing things that matter, some reading people's blogs that people have chosen to share aspects of their like their own lives you know reading that's how you can sort of find out more and empathize more with things that other people have, have experienced those, those, those are some of, yeah some of the things that i would say to do and obviously if people are concerned that they they're you know getting some aspects wrong or they're worried that they might threaten something that could be problematic then that's where sensitivity readers can be really helpful i mean i feel like there have been these incredible examples of people who are not own voices creating stories that resonate widely and deeply with people. So I think for me, it just comes back to empathy, open-minded and having a big open heart and a willingness to, to learn. And I think they are, you know, they, they're almost different, different genres. Like, gay literature by which i would you know maybe define authors like a james baldwin or an andre asiman or a andrew holleran who are gay men writing gay fiction and that often happens often tends in a kind of more melancholy sometimes tragic vein because that's what we've experienced. And we're now in this new period of like with gay romance that is really looking for the brighter side, the romance, the optimism, the joy that is possible for all of us. And perhaps it has needed to be a community of allies, supporters who are largely a different gender 
to look at our lives from the outside and see the potential of them. That maybe we haven't been able to fully see ourselves because we've grown up feeling the friction of being an outsider. And I feel like it's maybe only this new generation of kids now in really awesome, unique circumstances where diversity and inclusion is realized, that perhaps they will be an untarnished own voice of writers and storytellers that we haven't even witnessed yet. Like several other episodes we've done, we know that this is just the beginning of a conversation. Maybe own voices is something you've thought a lot about and have well-established feelings that are different from any expressed here. Perhaps you've never heard of it before. In either case, we hope these perspectives offer additional context for how you'll interact with own voices stories in the future, and we hope that everyone who listens will play a part in lifting up own voices authors without pushing down anyone else. The Clunatics Podcast is produced by Susanna Frigo, Louis Garcia, Angela Nolmone, Cedar Rajasingham, Mia Skibaris, John Steiger, and me. This episode was written by Susanna Frigo. Special thanks to Lindsay Dorcas for voicing the answers provided by April Daniels. You can find out more about Lindsay at lindsaydorcas.com. And as always, thanks to our season sponsor, Chelsea Verzweibelt. Make sure you're following the Clunatics podcast on social media. Join our Facebook group and find us on Instagram and Twitter using at ClunaticsPod. All episodes are now available on YouTube as well. If you want to support the podcast with a financial contribution, hit the donate button at ClunaticsPodcast.com. Anything we collect from now until July 1st, 2020 will be donated to The Trevor Project. We are once again challenging you to share the podcast with someone new to the world of TJ Clooney. Share your favorite episode with them and let us know how it goes. Send us an email at clunaticspodcast at gmail.com. Additional information about the podcast, including episode transcripts and the Clune Speak Don't Be a Dictionary, is available at clunaticspodcast.com. You can find out more about me and my work at kurtreads.com. That's K-I-R-T-R-E-A-D-S dot com. All music and sound effects heard in this episode are licensed by Storyblocks Audio. Storyblocks Audio.